This episode contains candid discussion about sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. It's time for a bonus. A bonus episode. I love episodes of theater, theater, theater. friends <laughs> oh my god are you trying to sing a yodorowsky song no that was uh <laughs> that was radiohead's uh karma police it was the co- the coda of the song i could oh see god. radiohead being um influenced by yodorowsky they probably were honestly <laughs> yes. oh i think it might be the exact opposite he you was think, influenced by Radio. Was, oh no, no, no. Was... <laughs> I think they weren't influenced by him. Um okay. they're, they're philosophically, okay. their stuff's just different. Anyway. Great way to start a podcast, guys. <laughs> really, really <laughs> solid stuff. <laughs> really good stuff uh, here. Hey, I just want to give a, a small shout out to uh Armenia. Uh the most nation specifically of. the nation of, uh, most specifically uh Yerevan. Uh-huh. Which is uh, our number five most listened city? All right. Uh, in our analytics, and I thought that was really interesting. And I don't know what probed that, but I bet hi. you there's a university there, or a, a theater program maybe there, or a yeah. theater. Who knows? And I mean, we did the, something. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, okay. Hi, Armenia. Hi, Yerevan. Hi, we love you so thanks, much, guys. What up, Armenia? Oh. Yo. Yeah, because it goes United States is our top country, obviously. And Los Angeles is our top city. We love you, Los Angeles. Thanks, but then we have number two is Australia. Number okay. two city is Melbourne. Melbourne. All right. Hey, then guy. we have three, Armenia. Number three sit is Sydney. Okay. Number four country, United Kingdom. City, Dallas. Weird. Okay. Number five, Peru. <gasps> city Yerevan and then number six Canada city number six is Azusa all wow right. all right Random. New York is only number eight so New York you need to uh get with it <laughs> they have a problem with us being from LA yeah it's because of the LA spotlight I totally get it I totally understand. <laughs> um but yeah all that to say uh welcome to theater theater the theater podcast for theater nerds made by three theater makers from the la theater scene i'm jay bailey bircham i'm cj merriman and i'm scott leggett that's right and each week we get together and we discuss debate and disseminate the works of the great playwrights but (gasps) we're not doing that this week mouths mouths you're right (laughs) because mouths and butts are the same thing i guess theoretically you could switch out the word butt for the word mouth yeah um (laughs) But as always, to cleanse our palate between playwrights, we offer you another bonus episode of Theater, Theater, and Stuff, where we pick theater-adjacent things and nerd out over them. And this week, hmm, mm-hmm. this week is a uh, a Scott pick. Sure is. Uh, Scott, what? <laughs> You're both welcome, by the way. Yeah, You're thanks. welcome. <laughs> what did you choose? And um, if you don't mind me asking, why? 
<laughs> sure. I chose uh, artist and, uh, well, he's many things, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky uh, to talk about his work, um, primarily because uh, I've always been fascinated by him. I've been doing a reread of Dune, the Dune books. Um, so with the movie coming out, I had thought, oh, Dune, Jodorowsky's Dune, which we will talk about momentarily. Um, but also that he uh, came from the theater, uh, that he created a lot of cool theater and did a lot of cool things in theater that translated into his films. And I think he's somebody that whether you like him or dislike him, um, I think he's an important kind of artistic figure in the world and somebody to know and talk about yeah well exciting um, <laughs> i dig that i dig everything you said scott i do too and i actually i do want to thank you this was a fun journey uh i had only discovered him during the pandemic really yeah. so what i a watched time to discover uh, him oh. <laughs> I mean, that's not fully true. I saw Holy Mountain when I was quite young, but I mm. didn't really know anything about Jodorowsky, the human. But I have found out uh, way more and did my research during the pandemic and ended up watching El Topo and the Dune Doc and some other things. And um, I have a lot to say. I'm excited to say it. Uh, CJ, I'm most interested to hear what your thoughts are on this because I know you were brand spanking new to this. Mm -hmm. uh, my experience with Yodorowsky before this was me teasing Scott about it. <laughs> um, and then I dated some deadbeat guy on and off for a couple years that had a Yodorowsky t-shirt he always wore. <laughs> that, that was it. That That's was it. The context. Um, That's the I, context. I, I understand why people like him and are so fascinated by him i see where like so many things that we love today and of course the only thing that's popping in my head is um star wars although um i was talking to someone the other day that was like oh stephen king clearly pulled some stuff from like el topo and stuff uh that people have drawn from his work so much um but I, I definitely had an experience watching this stuff, particularly Holy Mountain. I think y'all were worried about me watching El Topo because we, for for everyone to know, we did the Holy Mountain together. We watched that together. Right. Um, and so I did El Topo just last night and I was really scared too because of how I physically and emotionally reacted to the Holy Mountain. And El Topo was an easier watch for me. And I don't know if that's because there was a little bit more of a plot line to follow or what, but I didn't have as hard a time with that film as I did with the other. Right. Yeah. What about you, Scott? What is your actual history with Jode? And it is Jodorowsky, it's by Jode. the way. Jode? Uh, I've heard a, it. I've heard it with a Y. I've heard it with a J. So I've always yes, done Jodorowsky. He himself pronounces it Z with a breath S H. Oh. So it's Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky. So that's me. what I, I'm going with, but we can say whatever the fuck we want because I've been saying. I've been saying Hodorowski and Yodorowski my whole life. So, yeah, yeah, right. Go ahead. Um, well, I had been exposed to him uh, in like a theater or excuse me, a film 101 class. Um, and at the same time in a theater class where we were talking about mime and Marcel Marceau and Jodorowski has a connection there. We'll get into in a moment. And 
there's like a little blip in the in the film book about him in terms of underground cinema, surrealist cinema, and all that. And then I came to find out that you couldn't see his stuff because it was blocked for a number of years. You could only see bootlegs. So the first time I saw Holy Mountain, which I saw before El Topo, was on a bootleg VHS that had been recorded from a Japanese laser disc. And <laughs> that was the first thing. And it was a group of you know, film and theater nerds, you know, gathered around a TV in the mid 90s. And mm. we watched it and smoked some weed and all kind of freaked out. And um, and then I then later discovered it. And then when he was eventually all of his stuff was released in America on DVD and all that, uh, I poked my head in again. So he's somebody of, you know, I'm uh, and I should say I'm not like obsessed with him in he's not somebody like i go to like and it's it's not background stuff that you put on while you're doing no. other stuff Surely but not. he's just sort of sort of cycled his way through my brain and my world a few times and um yeah he's always sort of been a fascination for me yeah well, good times. Well, I think we might as well get into it. I think we should, uh, uh, we're going to discuss three of his, his, well, excuse me, we're going to discuss two of his films today. Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss El Topo, El Topo for sure, and Holy Mountain for sure. And then we're going to discuss a little bit about the documentary that was made about his Dune, his failed Dune film, which mm-hmm. is exciting to talk about. Uh, I haven't watched the doc in a while. I watched it a few months ago and I didn't rewatch it for this. So I apologize for that. So I'm going to have... A little trouble. I remember uh, 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 a lot of H.R. Geiger stuff, and I remember uh, Salvador Dali being a part of it. But mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm having a little bit of trouble, so I'm excited to revisit that with y'all. Besides that, Scott, we don't normally do this on an and stuff, but I no. figure we need a little bit of background on this guy. We need a little oh, bit yeah. of history. We need, we need, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. We need the history. We need his story. Okay. Scott? Yeah. Scottpedia. Scottpedia. Yeah. <laughs> Alejandro Jodorowsky is a crazy bastard, and we're going to learn more about him. Alejandro Jodorowsky Prulansky, which mm. is his full real name, is a novelist, screenwriter, a poet, a playwright, an essayist, a film and theater director and producer, an actor, a film editor, a comics writer, a musician and composer, a philosopher, a puppeteer, a mime, a lay psychologist, a draftsman, a painter, a sculptor, and a spiritual guru. That's just our starting off point. We're just going to launch from there. Uh, He was born in 1929 in the coastal town of Tokopia, Chile, to parents who were Jewish immigrants from what is now known as the Ukraine. His father, uh, Jaime Jodorowsky Groisman, was a merchant who was largely abusive to his wife, Sarah Felicidad, and at one time accused her of flirting with a customer. Angered, he subsequently beat and raped her, getting her pregnant, which led to the birth of Alejandro. So when we start talking in depth about his stuff, uh, we can uh, point to a lot of uh, early early child stuff. Horrible yeah. and interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of his brutal conception, Sarah both hated her husband and disliked her son, telling him that I cannot love you and rarely showed the child any affection or tenderness. In Chile, he was uh, viewed as an outsider because his parents were immigrants. 
Um, but he saw the local people of his town treated badly at the hands of American mining in industrialists. Uh, and this led Jodorowsky's condemnation of American imperialism and neocolonialism in Latin America. Uh, and you can see that in several of his films. He immersed himself in reading and also began writing poetry. Becoming interested in the political ideology of anarchism, he began attending college studying psychology and philosophy, but stayed for only two years. After dropping out and having an interest in theater and particularly mime, he took, a, uh, took up employment as a clown in a circus and began a career as a theater director. Meanwhile, in 1947, he founded his own theatrical troupe, the Teatro Mimico, which by 1952 had 50 members. It was in that same year that he decided to move to Paris, uh, where Jodorowsky began studying mime with uh, Etienne Decreux and joined the troupe of one of Decreux's students, Marcel Marceau, the very famous mime. It was, wow. with Mar yeah. it was with Marceau's troupe that he went on a world tour and he wrote several of the routines for the group. He spent most of the 50s directing theater, uh, and in 19, uh, 1957, Jodorowsky turned his hand to filmmaking, creating, let me get this correct, Les Tete Intervertes, or The Severed Heads, which was a 20-minute adaptation of Thomas Mann's novella. Uh, it consisted almost entirely of mime and told the surreal story of a head-swapping merchant who helps a young man find courtship success. Jodorowsky played the lead role. The director, Jean Cocteau, admired the film and wrote an introduction for it. It was considered lost until a print of the film was found in, in 2006. I have never seen it. Um, in, in 1960, Jodorowsky moved to Mexico, where he settled down in Mexico City. Nonetheless, he continued to return occasionally to France, on one occasion visiting the surrealist uh, artist André Breton. Uh, but he was dis disillusioned in that he felt Breton had become somewhat conservative in his old age. Uh, if you've never checked out Breton's stuff, um, conservative is not the word that I would use, but too conservative for uh, Alejandro. Uh, continuing his interest in surrealism in 1962, he founded the Panic Movement, uh, the movement aimed to go beyond the conventional surrealist ideas by embracing absurdism. El Topo and Holy Mountain, uh, when we discuss them, are both um, uh, results of the Panic Movement. Um, and after those two films, he kind of started to move away from that. Uh, but it was in Mexico City that he encountered Ijo Takata, who was a Zen Buddhist monk uh, who studied at monasteries in Japan. Um, he eventually moved to Mexico City, uh, and Alejandro Jodorowsky allowed him to create uh, a Zendo in his own home, uh, where many people came to meditate and all that. Um, after several years of instruction, Takata uh, told Jodorowsky that he needed to learn more about his feminine side. So he went and befriended the English surrealist Lenora Carrington, uh, who had recently moved to Mexico and was sort of a big early uh, feminist writer who was sort of writing on the fringes about feminism. Joe Raski's first wife was the actress Valerie Tremblay. He is currently married to the artist and costume designer Pascal Montedon. He has five children: Brontus Jodorowsky, who was the young man in El Topo, best uh, name ever. Brontus. Brontis. Brontis. Uh, his second child, uh, Tio, who played in Santa Sangre, which is another film that we won't be discussing today, but is worth the view. Very good. Very good film. Very good flick. Uh, Cristobal is a psycho shaman and an actor. Eugenia uh, and the youngest Adam Jodorowsky round out his five children. On his religious views, Jodorowsky has called himself an atheist mystic. 
He does not drink or smoke and is vegan. In 2005, Square. Square. In 2005, <laughs> Jody Roski officiated the wedding of Marilyn Manson and Dita Von Teese. Really? Um, yeah. Um, his films have had a huge influence on filmmakers around the world. Uh, David Lynch, Peter Gabriel, musicians, artists, all alike have all kind of paid homage to uh, to him. Um, and that's the big stuff. That's uh, and- that's this Scatopedia, sort of a, uh, just a fascinating dude who's into a lot of fascinating ideas and things and um, started to make movies inspired by all those things. He's also the he's also the mentor and spiritual advisor of Nicholas Winding Refn. That's right. Yeah, who, who appears is the director in the, of Neon Demon and Drive, and and also appears in uh, in Jodorowsky's Dune documentary. But yes, is a huge, huge. Right. Um, he was a young man talking about him in that doc, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a huge devotee of them of him. I just had a short little foot. I probably should have done this at the top, but I'm doing it now. Um, I was I was hanging out with good friends of mine the other night, Michelle Gardner and John Cry, and I asked the both of them because they're both John Cryer from the like, from Two and a Half Men. No, I'm sorry no, to interrupt. No, John Cry, C R Y E. It was very funny. I asked them, do y'all know Jodorowsky? And she didn't. And he said that back in the day, he used to work at Rocket Video, which is- Oh my God. Rocket Video used to be the coolest (laughs) thing in Los Angeles. I knew you would be stoked on that. And he said, and he was like in his 20s or something, across the street from Pink's, for those of you who don't know where Rocket Video was. He said that the staff, they it was some old- hippie dude that owned the place and the staff um got to pick on a cyclical basis like there i guess there was a big screen in the back mm-hmm. and the, the staff would get to pick what movies that they played and he said there was some angry film nerd that would always put on jodorowsky <laughs> and that's how he saw jodorowsky was working that job at rocket video <laughs> that's awesome yeah rocket video but- was used to be the jam. I mean, you could go and what was cool about them was that they would go find you stuff, whether that was like bootleg VHSs, but if you need if you wanted to find like obscure anime, they would go and they would they would hunt it down. You know, this was just at the dawn of the internet where but they would get on there and they would find stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So do we want to start off with Fucking which one? What are we starting? With? I think we start. We let's go chronologically, and let's do uh, El Topo or yeah. the Mole. What did you think? El Topo. What did you think? El Topo. Um, I have notes. I have notes. Um, yeah. I also have a breakdown. I don't know if we want oh. that or not for this. Oh my god, we should back up just a second and. CJ's breakdown. Uh, an outlaw, El Topo, defies the four masters of the desert for the love of a woman that he rapes. Having defeated them, his conscience rises until the woman betrays him, or does she pay him back? And his new life as a holy man begins. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I mean, it's... Kinda. It's, <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, it's... The the question I have in comparison to El Topo, and then we talk about Holy Mountain, I feel like Holy Mountain is the story of enlightenment, 
and El Topo is a story of redemption. And we oh, should okay. say that's just my 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 take on it. Like there's a lot of people, and when you go and you read and you talk about it, a lot of people talk about uh El Topo's enlightenment as well you know he goes to the four masters that each represent a different religion or philosophy um that he must defeat and then it goes from there and it gets crazier and crazier um but we should say that this was the sort of original um underground movie it was the first midnight movie that's how it he he sold it and that's when they started showing it late nights at midnight in new york city and then it well, so there was in cult status from there right there was this uh thing happening kind of uh throughout the 60s and 70s where they were showing b kind of bad pulpy films at mm-hmm. midnight on tv right right and it became kind of this thing where uh, people were like, well, I guess we could do this in theaters as well. And a couple things had tried it and not really uh, taken off or done anything. This is the first one, though, where people were like, go- it became a cult following. People were really going to see it. We should also say that around this time, uh, Jodorowsky had only made, at this time, Jodorowsky had only made... Uh, a few films and they were all very art house Fondo Elise and like these other things mm-hmm. were very very weird and, and and hard to watch and had no mass appeal so he decided to make this movie a western because that's a genre film that he knew would make money right so he sold it as a western he said this is a western this is uh, you know and it got people to go see it and then they were showing it at midnight kind of following this tv trend of the b films the pulp films the grindhouse films playing at midnight and it just blew up and it just became a huge thing we talked about rocky horror uh what like three four uh miniseries six mm-hmm. miniseries yeah, is yeah, ago. A while ago. way um, back it's been a minute it was a pam pick and we got to talk about it but we we were sort of talking about how that was the first like major midnight movie no el topo was el topo was definitely the first major midnight movie right this yeah, was the and- one someone was trying to tell me that stephen king must have pulled imagery from this for the stand which i don't know anything about the stand I mean, so many people did. I, I think that one of the things that he does and that is is one of the biggest challenges to watching his stuff is that he's drawing from imagery and symbolism from all kinds of things. You have Christian symbolism that's pretty blatant in El Topo. You've got a lot of Eastern philosophy. You have a lot of... Um... The, the Christian symbolism is not blatant in El Topo. The Christian symbolism is the only thing that's happening <laughs> in the entire movie. <laughs> oh, I disagree, but like I th- I think he's he's overplaying it to because that's the most accessible thing to people. Uh-huh. Like right. I think a lot of a lot of his ideas and a lot of the things that he's pulling from are that he still puts in there are going over people's heads and sometimes it's Sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's not subtle. Um, I'm mm. thinking about like the the desert fruit that gets opened up and clearly looks like a vulva oh and then it looks like a vulva, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then you have like, you know, the rabbits are symbols and pagan symbols at that. And so many animals were killed for his movies. I just have to say. Yeah, that. absolutely. <laughs> so That's many a big animals thing. were murdered. We should say this, like, actually, we should have said this at the top, like, if you're not cool with like dead animals in film, if you're not cool with uh, rape and with 
naked children. Doing these movies weird. aren't for you. Uh, doing weird yeah. shit. These movies aren't for you. So maybe don't don't watch them. Just listen to us talk about it, and that's yeah. fine too. Right. Um, but some we were talking about people who uh, um, you know were fans of Yodorowsky or were influenced by him. But El Topo in particular, the amount of people that have come out saying that they're you know huge fans of this are John Lennon and Yoko, uh, David Lynch, obviously Sam mm-hmm. Fuller, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the easy mighty writer, Bush. The, the mighty Bush, Bush, the, guy, the guys 100%. from the mighty Bush. Yeah. Yep. Bob Dylan, Marilyn Manson, Peter Gabriel, the whole crew, uh, they all say that they have taken something from El Topo in terms of the things that they're, of their making. It, it's been claimed that, uh, uh, the movie, this movie was the beginning of Peter Gabriel's inspiration for Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album, uh, the what's the the, the lamb, lamb? What's that one called? The lamb lays down on Broadway. That one, lamb lays yeah. down on Broadway. Apparently, this is what inspired him to write that Genesis album. So, pretty but, interesting stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, again, it's not everybody's cup of tea. And I think what you know, and and I don't always want to defend everything that he does. Although I think that there's a positive energy in what he ultimately does like he's he's a provocateur you know he's in so many ways he's a carnival barker and and he's trying to press buttons but he's trying to press buttons in an ultimately positive way like i've i feel like uh well el topo ends tragically but it is the a redemption story and the same with Holy Mountain. At the end of Holy Mountain, it is a positive sort of energy that he's putting out there, but he's trying to sort of put you through the ringer. I've, I've always thought of him as somebody who's trying to open a raw nerve and then pour salt into it. He's he trying to wake that. people up. And I think another thing, and especially with Americans and how we react to it, like I've talked to a couple Germans and some French folks about him, is that he has no connection to America till much later in life. So right. the, the, his world views are so different. Uh, and then how that gets filtered through, through his camera and through his work, I think makes it even a little bit more disturbing or unsettling for American audiences, in my opinion. May, may I bring up one uncomfortable topic? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of uncomfortable topics about his movies, but there was obviously one glaring one for me, which is the is the rape scene. Mm-hmm. Did y'all read anything on that? Oh no, Bailey, what's that about? No, I just I, I well, I mean, I should be clear that I hate this movie. Uh, oh, okay. Um, it's I have a I mean, I love Holy Mountain. I like really love it. I have a lot of feelings about Holy Mountain. I love Santa Sangre and there's a couple other ones I've seen that I think are interesting. I don't like this movie. I don't think it does. I don't think any of it's on purpose and that sounds weird, but I, and I, I also kind of hate the whole wizard of Oz ending of like, Oh, it's all Christianity. That's what this is all about. And that's hard for me. But the biggest thing with the rape scene, and this is just annoying, but he had quoted in his book and in a few interviews at the time that he actually did that, that he Mm -hmm. went out with her and that he told her he didn't know her. He went out there with a camera crew and he said, hit me and she hit him. And then he said, keep hitting me until you feel fine. She broke a rib hitting him. And then he proceeded to actually 
rape her. Now, he well, later he hit her face first too. <laughs> like he well, he beat her. He beat awful. He beat and raped her, and it actually happened. So years later, he came out and said that was all publicity. That was bullshit. That didn't happen. But you know, that was all just to sell the movie. Now, I don't think either of those things are smart genius you know like i think they're they're ridiculous i think it's stupid to have made light of it to sell tickets and i think it's also stupid to for him to believe that he can like get away with that even if it was real like if it was well, real I, that's even worse also i gotta say you come back 50 years later and say oh i was lying i i don't believe you I don't believe him. Like, I mean, I just don't. Well, and she's she came out and said no that it that didn't happen, that right. it didn't go down like that. And um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and defend it. Other than they both have said that it was a marketing thing when he went to sell right. the movie. He was wearing the costume and he was going nuts trying to sell it and trying to prov provoke people. Uh, that's a fucked up negative thing, but. Well, right, and I know, and I know that it's 1970, and people viewed things differently back then. I think, and and again, this is this is a time thing, and it's because shit is different now. But just the whole storyline of okay, forgetting whatever happened on set, actually, who's telling the truth? Um, it's just the storyline of like you raped me, I had an orgasm, and now. I can fall in love with you. Like, it's just that whole storyline, too. And then she's the villain in the end. And it's like... His, his actual quote, like, about it is, he says, you see, for me, the character is frigid until El Topo rapes her, and she has an orgasm. That's why I show a stone phallus in that scene, which spouts water. She has an orgasm. She accepts the male sex. And that's what happened to Mara in reality. She really had that problem. It's a fantastic scene. A very, very strong scene. That's his quote. Well, and he also said that she mentioned that she had past experiences of abuse, too, which yes. is another. He also said, like, that made the scene even better. Well, so. and he was saying that that was an act, the actual case for her, that she, like, could right. only finish if uh, if she was being uh, molested. So all of this is – I'm going to have to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. I totally yeah. forgot about that. But um, but all that to say, I, I think, you know, and I, I do love Holy Mountain and a couple of his other things, so I, I don't know that I totally agree with what I'm about to say. But there are a few quotes – specifically about El Topo of his, that just make me roll my eyes. Specifically, if you are great, El Topo is a great picture. If you are, <laughs> if you are limited, El Topo is limited. And it's sort of like, yeah, dude, okay, but you could shit on the cement and film it for two hours and say the same thing. Like, this is great if you get it, but if it's not, then... Then you're limited. Guess you're stupid. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I, I I disagree. I I think that there's method it. in the madness. Like I think that um, there's a there's a quote here from um, uh, Peter Schlatel of the New York Times, and this is what he wrote. A very strange masterpiece. On first blush, it might seem no more than a violent, surreal fantasy, a work of fabulous but probably deranged imagination. Surreal and crazy it may be, but it is also, one realizes on multiple viewings, as fully considered and ordered as fine clockwork. And I think that that as I've seen it more and more, because I, 
Uh, I liked it a lot more this time. I watched it two nights ago and I liked it a lot more this time than I'd had in the past. And that was because I was noticing a lot more. But listen, it's it's again, he he is trying to push buttons. And I think for this one in particular, where he's trying to establish himself and he got a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of critics and especially critics at the time who were like, this is just bullshit. And that's what prompted him to sort of reframe and refocus how he was approaching Holy Mountain, which I think is a lot better constructed and a lot sure. better in, in a lot of ways. Um, so, I mean, those criticisms are, are, are totally valid. Like, it's absolutely valid. But I think that he, I think that a lot of, he's throwing everything in and the kitchen sink. And uh, again, you're going to, you, you're, it, that's why I think everybody has such a visceral, visceral reaction to it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I have a lot of also, um, I, I, I compared him a lot to Lynch, which I think people are wont to do, but also because of the Dune connection, I think right. it's easy to compare him to Lynch. And obviously Lynch is, is in, uh, informed by him as well. But I was thinking a lot about... Uh, specifically Eraserhead and also the eighth episode of Twin Peaks, The Return, mm -hmm. okay, which are both uh, extremely surreal, absurd, sort of what am I watching kind of movies, um, specifically to talk about like uh, the Twin Peaks episode, which if no one's seen it, I mean, most people haven't. It's a very, you know, it was a, an obscure moment uh, in time, this third season of Twin Peaks, but it was... Uh, there's this one episode where it's just an atom bomb exploding and then you're like traveling through the atom bomb and it's like images and feelings and energies and weird shit for an hour. And it's one of the weirdest episodes of television ever. The thing about that versus this is when I'm watching El Topo and even Holy Mountain, and I'm sure I'm missing tons of imagery that I'm, I'm not thinking of, but I do always feel like I know what he's saying. If that makes sense. Like, I do always feel like I'm always with Shodorowsky. I'm sort of like, oh, I get the uh -huh. what you're trying to make me feel here. I understand why, you know, that kind of thing for the most part. And this isn't a slight on him. Whereas with Lynch, I feel like I'm constantly being challenged going like, what the fuck am I watching? And I'm having to, like, really dissect. And I don't know that that's a good or bad to either of them, but I do feel like he wears it more on his sleeve. It's a little more face value with with Jodorowsky. Yeah, I mean, I think Does that makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think Lynch is a little bit more buried too. Like if you look at his canon of stuff, like you have you have a Racerhead, but then you have Elephant Man, which is an insanely grounded you know beautifully constructed dramatic piece and you true so, and and then he has dune which is arguably a failure but he's also i like it <laughs> i kind of like it like, it's, it's yeah um but lynch i think i think the difference is and maybe why lynch is a little bit more accessible to people as as weird as that might sound sure is lynch is dealing with um with an element of consciousness and unconsciousness mm -hmm. in a very specific way, as opposed to Joe Dorowski, who's kind of loading up and, 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 and invoking a lot of stuff. There was a great interview and not to digress too much about on, on David Lynch, but he had a great interview on the old Charlie Rose show before Charlie Rose showed his dick to an intern. Um, oh, yeah. That's how he, that's why we don't have any anymore, but where he, 
like Charlie Rose is trying to sort of trying to get an understanding of Lynch and Lynch is like, what I'm trying to do is get from my head to my, my subconscious. He's like, I'm trying to tap into that moment right before I fall asleep, that moment of total relaxation where my brain is starting to slow down, but is starting to get a little weird and work through its shit. I'm trying to get from there to the screen as quickly as possible. Right. Without as, as as little interference as possible. And that's that's a hard thing to do with film. And I think Joe Dorowski goes about it in a far more aggressive way. Yeah. He's, he's going to load it up and, and, and push it on you. But uh, well, here's another quote from him, which kind of relates to that David Lynch quote, which is he says, uh, Joe Dorowski says, most directors make films with their eyes. I make films with my balls. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> which I, also I, makes I, me roll my eyes a little. <laughs> it does, it does, and I mean, listen, we're talking about a ninety-year-old dude, so a lot of like, sure, sure, sure. a lot of those quotes are, are, but I think that that those are inform who who he is and what kind of person he is uh, uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, it's like in in um, in the documentary Joe Dorowski's Dune, where he talks about wanting to find spiritual warriors. And he goes and he talks to the one dude and he's like, he's not a warrior. He's a, he's a desk guy. And he's like, yeah. And you feel that there's a spontaneity to him. um, And, and uh, again, that madness, but uh, you know, as I said, there's, there's more method to the madness than we think. And I think that that also comes through like in his devotion to uh, meditation and, and that sort of thing. He's also big into tarot, which I love about him. Uh, And he, uh, (laughs) one more quote. Sorry, I'm looking at a quotes page of his. It's solid. Sure, it's fucking insane, too. (laughs) It's a bit, but it's great. I ask of film what most North Americans ask of psychedelic drugs. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But it should be what like, mean? I mean, well, it means that he wants to have an experience like, yeah. and here's another thing I think that that is the challenge of Jodorowsky, especially for Western viewers. We've been taught poorly about how to watch movies. We don't watch them. We watch, we, our instincts are to see grounded realism because that's right. what we've been taught. And he's like, no, nah, I can use this medium to do something totally fucking off the wall and crazy um seemingly crazy and and challenge you that way and so yeah you know yeah a lot of it you know especially as time goes by becomes a little bit more absurd but i was struck by how beautiful both el topo and holy mountain are like visually like technically in terms of the cinematography and that sort of thing you know he's dealing with big themes he's dealing with man versus nature man versus himself those things will but why tell for him why tell those stories in a normal way and this is where i think that the theater background becomes so important and why i was kind of interested in that is that when we go to theater our suspension of disbelief is a little different than going into a movie theater sure and so to you know you know and he talks about you know that he's direct he had directed everything he had done ionesco and beckett and shakespeare he he dipped his toes into all those worlds and all of those inform the shit that he's doing He's also, and I don't, I'm sorry, to, I'll shut up in a second. But he it's also, your episode, go for uh, it. Yeah. But he's also putting 
he's putting filters on top of filters on top of filters. So he gets into surrealism and, you know, and surrealism is a complicated thing. We think about like, you know, Dolly's melting clocks and Magritte. And, and, yeah. and yeah, and and that kind of shit. But it's it's got a pretty deep philosophy behind it. Right. And then he takes and when he starts the panic movement, he's like, I'm going to take surrealism and I'm going to add absurdism to it. So he's saying in, in a lot of those works and a lot of that philosophy that we're going to delve deep into this, this psychosis, this darker side of the un unconscious mind. We're going to deal with your, your dreamscape and we're going to fuck with it, but we're not going to take it seriously. We're going to put that through the filter of absurdism. Well, yeah. then he turns around and he puts that, those two things through the filter of Zen Buddhism. Uh, and then he takes those things and he puts them through the filter of tarot. And then he puts those things and he puts them through the filter of, of symbolism from all over the world. You know, at one point he starts really getting into, you know, his, his home country or his parents' home country is um, where he, in Ukraine and starts pulling out like myth from that, like that nobody, like there's like five people that understand um, what he's getting at. So you know, the disturbing part of his stuff, the stuff that shakes you up is I pre I just appreciate it in, in a weird way. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, especially with, as he moves forward with his later stuff, I think he really hones that. I think Holy Mountain is kind of a masterpiece, which we can get into, but I think we should talk a little bit about the Dune that didn't happen. This is the failure where he was, he's working on, he threw a weird, uh, you know, circumstance through a weird chain of events. He ends up with the rights to this major book mm -hmm. franchise. And it, you know, it's kind of amazing that it ended up in his hands. And it was uh, Dan O'Bannon, writer of the movie Alien, mm -hmm. which... The story goes that because this didn't happen, Dan O'Bannon was institutionalized and then wrote Alien as he was coming out of that institutionalization. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. O'Bannon, from all appearances, was was a shaky dude anyway. Right. But I, I think he took this creative. really hard. I think he oh, took yeah. it really I mean, hard. Because he, because yeah, one day he just he he just he was living in Paris, working on it, and one day they just came in and said, "We're done." Later, and he's stuck in Paris, and he's got no money and no way to get back, and and right. uh, had turned down a lot of work on you know uh, it's the, it was the movie Dark Star. Uh, which was an early 70s um, sci-fi flick that O'Bannon kind of uh, established himself in terms of being a special effects artist and then went on to become the writer and the owner of the Alien franchise. Yeah. yeah it gets created by for forever. but Which, it's kind of amazing. I mean, Alien, but also throughout everything, there's so many things in pop culture that can kind of be tied back to the seeds or the nuggets of ideas that were related to this, uh, to this uh, potential Dune movie. So we should say, uh, you know, the Frank Herbert book uh, gets handed to them, and this movie was going to star Orson Welles, mm -hmm. Salvador Dali, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was going to be scored by Pink Floyd, Mm -hmm. Partly by uh, Pink Floyd. Partly yeah. by Pink Floyd. And then you had H.R. Geiger, who 
uh, whose art is incredible. If no one knows it, you should look was it up. Was he full on it's... comic book, or was he just? Did he only do just art? Geiger, yeah, Geiger was a painter. Like that was kind of he was a painter and a sculptor. Mobius was the one that did more of the comic Got book it. stuff, and then there was the British guy whose name I now forget, who did a lot of like the ship design. But the those designs, Fox. all of those designs, you can see. Like I, I, I was like, oh, you can see them in Ragnarok. Like Taika, Taika clearly was just like, I'm gonna yeah. snag it, but everybody snagged them. Like he created the quintessential design team, and he had them all focused on different things. Like, like Geiger was in charge of the Baron Harkonnen and his family and the bad guys. And Mobius was set on the Atreides and the good guys of Dune. And then you had this one dude who was doing the ships. And then you had another dude who was you know, focusing on uh, the storyboarding and that sort of thing. And they created a giant fucking book that I guess only one copy still exists. Although right. I'd heard you know, there's rumors floating around, you know, that Spielberg has one in his Jodorowsky office. is the first person I've heard of since I came to LA that's ever done pre-blocking. <laughs> right. Well, I and mean, I thought that was shit you did with theater. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, because he'd come from theater and he knew that he had, if he was going to pull this off, he had to design it. And where there's, there'd certainly been storyboarding before that, not like it was, and it changed everything. And so you see it in Aliens and the whole Alien franchise, obviously, because they stole Geiger. Um, well, yeah, it, I mean, Alien, the design of the Xenomorph itself is based on Geiger, which is, you know, it's got very Geiger uh, things to it and the Tetsuo uh, man kind of thing. But then you have Prometheus, mm -hmm. which came out, what, like 10 years ago now or yeah, a little less? Yeah, about that eight years ago now and it is going all the way back to all those things and there are multiple things in prometheus that are directly out of the book for this dune all very exciting did you guys watch the doc did you did, i did oh, yeah. watch the doc yeah. um i will say um i'm a fan of dune i need to reread the book the main book especially before the movie comes out um because it's it's what a perfect story for Jodorowsky to pick up because the 800 page first book is so confusing. Even though I've read it, I couldn't even tell you everything that happened. Um, and it is such a trip and it's, it's just a brand new ecology and civilization and idea to think about people. Yeah. Um, I will say the artwork reminded me and I can't, I can only think of, feelings that I've had but I can't think of specific moments where when I was a kid it would either be seeing like an artwork book in a bookstore or like kind of a crazy comic book mm. um guy uh Geiger and Foss's drawings just these things that as that I would look at and I couldn't stop staring at because they didn't make visual sense to me because there's nothing like it anywhere that I know of in the universe which was weird to me, but I also couldn't stop looking at it. Um, there's an artist that I love. He's he's a musician called Sufjan Stevens. And a couple of years ago, um, he had a massive loss. He lost his mom and he wrote an album for it. And then for all of his album work, and I'm not suggesting this of these artists in, in uh, Dune at all, but um, he hired um, an artist that is schizophrenic and use, uses his schizophrenia as a way to 
express his art, like uses it when he's drawing and painting. Mm. And his the artwork in his album book reminded me of this yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the ex yeah, th that's a great point because the extent of the ripples <laughs> through movies and music that this had like uh, you know like I guess the bass player for Limp Biscuit uh <laughs> <laughs> But he has he has a secondary band that's his quote unquote serious band. But they they, they did a whole album inspired by all this stuff that came out. You know, he was he was Joe Doraski was really trying to 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 harness it. I to digress slightly. I think that the most fascinating thing was that he he started all of it without ever having read the book until later a lot later. of them hadn't read the book and i was like come on guys <laughs> right right and well because it, but dune wasn't dune yet in matter of fact i will hold that the legend and the mystery behind the failure of jodorowsky's dune is one of the things that made dune even bigger because yeah. by that point we're sure. sort of mid-70s by that point he he hadn't even finished the third book yet frank herbert hadn't and it was a slow burn the the explosion of dune wasn't wasn't a fast thing it took a little while and then it's it the blew george rr R. martin of his time frank herbert well because <laughs> game herbert. of thrones didn't pick up to like book four or something i think except yeah. that motherfucker won't finish the fucking books fuck you george rr R. martin well and i'll hold the frank herbert's a much better writer yes. than George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yes. Like he's doing like, you know, uh because Frank Herbert bases a lot of stuff on, you know, the War of the Roses and that sort of thing. But he's but going you know, the, much further. The two get compared a lot though, actually. I've had multiple people tell me who a lot of people who are like avid readers will be like, Oh, I couldn't get into Dune because of all the spice trade stuff. And then they say the same thing about Game of Thrones. They go, and I couldn't get into Game of Thrones because of all the lineage stuff. Right. Huh. It's sort of like, oh, interesting. Which some people love that world building stuff. Some people are three chapters in going, uh, I don't care, and they put it down. You know? Yeah, some people love reading manifests and lists of yeah. things. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and begats and shit. And some people are like, This is boring. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it was, you know. It, I've never read Dune, by the way. Oh, you you should read it. it I think I should. Me. The fourth one broke me. But I got a tattoo, so why not? I'm in the, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of the fourth book right now, and I'm loving it. Oh, um, God. I don't know how I you're loving Emperor God. It's so hard. Well, Bailey, if you don't, I own it. I think I'm going to listen to <laughs> I, it. I've got them all, too. Through. I've got them all, too. Um, I will <laughs> say for this doc, the entire time, it was the first thing I noticed, and it was I was going to sit down and just watch it, but then I had to grab my laptop and start taking notes. In all of it, it was the subtitles that I set up from my TV and also the subtitles they provided in the doc. They spelled motherfucking theater wrong the entire <laughs> goddamned time. They did it with ER? It was ER the whole time, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, weird. Um, <laughs> so evidently it's not an American thing. It's just some people have it wrong. They just <laughs> have it wrong. It. Yeah, um, yeah. I will also say that Jodorowsky is a cat man, which um, will make me, uh, I could sit down and have a meal with him at least because of that. It's the one thing I hate about him. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not judging you. I'm just judging. I mean, I've had a meal with you. 
<laughs> it was <laughs> another thing. I mean, we we keep bringing up I, Lorraine Hansberry was one of these one of these people, and there's been many many others. Tennessee Williams was another one. Like just these artists that kind of find themselves in the middle of company of fucking insane crazy other artists that yeah. are either really famous then or they're gonna be famous. Well, it Marcel was... Marceau, I mean, that alone is like so cool. Isn't that crazy? And that right. he clowned well, with Marcel. And and that um and that you see it in El Topo when he's yeah. when he when he and, and the woman are are doing their clown show and how good and strong his movements are. And then we Holy as Mountain we, too. As we get into Holy Mountain, like that whole sequence is he's, oh the Suzuki walking. Oh man, <laughs> like just like low from the core. The head is at a perfect plane. It doesn't move. It doesn't bob up or down. Like, but that's all of those people that you know that are from his company and from you know his his training that you know have all been uh, working with him. All, worked with him all the, all those years, and and Hell you yeah. can see it and. It, that was another cool thing that um, like, even just as, as the gunslinger in El Topo, like the way that he's moving in that outfit and the way that he holds himself and the stillness that he can find um, is extraordinary. And then it translates into Holy Mountain. Um, it is a little annoying that he's in all of his films, but I'm also like, I, I think I'm taking out. I'm taken out of it at first because I know what he looks like, and I'm always like, "Ugh, yeah, you put yourself in your movies." But then he always, he's like the best part. He gets you back, you know. I'm sure he would tell you no one else can play this role. That's correct. You know. Well, and I mean, it's the sort of it's it it's pretentious. It's there's that part of it that is it's him being like, well, I'm. I am the alchemist in Holy Mountain because I am the god of this story. Like right. I am the ruler of this story or I am El Topo because this is my story. This is me. This is everything I feel about the world and my sons and what it's like father and son relationships and animal uh you know um I was going to say animal cruelty. I didn't mean that animal uh, uh <laughs> what is it animal uh, instinct, instinct. And, you know and things yeah. like this. <sighs> Interesting. Um I think I think we should talk about Holy Mountain because we watched yeah. that all together and it yeah. was a, it was an interesting watch. I, I really want to hear CJ explain to the listeners her <laughs> experience watching it. But actually real quick, we were talking about uh people's interactions. CJ, you brought up like uh with other famous artists and things. I can't mm-hmm. remember their names now. Maybe you know them, Scott. And I don't think you brought this up in the uh Scottopedia, but he and two other surrealist, satirist, absurdist guys created a troupe, an act, a theater troupe called the Panic. What was it called? The Panic Men. The, the Panic. The Panic. Bleh, hold on. It's the Panic. Did you bring it up? Am I, I did. Crazy? Oh, it was I the Panic Movement, right? The panic, the panic movement, movement. that yeah. was, and it was the, uh, Oh, two. I thought it was supposed to be, he was like, we're creating a new theater movement. We're so good. Well, it kind of was, but he also, it was, it was an homage to the God Pan. Yeah. It was very, my cat. You mean your cat? Your cat. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of cats. She's 14 um, and a half and fast asleep right next to me right now. Beautiful. She's my PA. Well, he made an homage to her, so it's beautiful. She did um, not enjoy the film. No. <laughs> well, so, Holy Mountain, CJ, what was your experience watching this? I know we were sitting next to you, but it was kind of hilarious to watch you as well. So go ahead. Um, and I didn't trust it. 
Mm. Unlike El Topo, where I know El Topo's like, I, I mean, I, the right out the gate, it's hyper bloody, it's pretty violent, um, and that's just right out the gate. There's plenty of shit that happens throughout the rest of the film that's troubling, but it almost had like a 300 quality with the blood and with yeah. the violence. Like that is a violent movie that I can sit down and watch because it looks like I'm watching a comic book. Yeah. Um, because I can't do violence very well but i'm not so bad with violence but seeing people hanging is really hard for me it's mm. fucked up i mean and there's it's a awful. lot of that in el topo and i think that colors my my watching of it a lot because it reminded me of several scenes of from cruelty. godless to be yeah. quite honest yeah. like it reminded me of the scenes where jeff daniels and his crew are leaving and they've just completely devastated an entire town yeah it's um, hard for me um holy mountain the problem i had with holy mountain was there was so much weird and there were so there was so many like visceral images and things that I didn't get and things that I couldn't understand that I did not trust the film for a second. I knew because I again, I feel like El Topo <laughs> has way more of a plot line than Holy Mountain does. Holy Mountain doesn't kick into plot to like the last 20 minutes in my opinion. And it's not even plot by then, it's sort of just like an idea of a plot. Like right, right. But, up, but yeah. El Topo has a storyline from top to bottom, sure. I feel like, with with yeah. weird images smattered about in it. Um, but this one, I mean, the joke that I kept, and I felt bad because I was so uncomfortable and worried the whole time that I just kept cracking jokes at everything because that's kind of how I deal with being uncomfortable. And there were a couple times throughout the movie where I checked my pulse and my heart was hammering <laughs> because I just, I just didn't know what I was going to see next. And I didn't know, cause you both had talked about like, Oh, I saw these images that I've never been able to unsee. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And, and I just, every time they trot a different animal in, in fact, I have a running list here of all of the animals. I was terrified that they were going to slit their throats on camera. <laughs> right. I just, there was no trust. So it's like, I didn't know what was going to happen next. And it made for a very, like, I don't remember the last time. I mean, maybe Blair Witch Project when I saw it, when I was 15 in theaters, had me that sitting there and worried the whole time. But also at the same time, it's like, you're an adult, you're sitting here with your friends, you can watch this movie. <laughs> so I had a I lot of emotions going on during, and physically reacting to it too. I guarantee that Joe Dorowski would take the fact that you that your pulse was increasing as a huge victory. I know, and I hate that. I hate it. I yeah. hate it. But, but I, I also I, think if you had watched El Topo first, you probably would have had that experience with El Topo instead. I think you were more prepared to go into El Topo. You think so? Seen. Yeah. I just, I, I just, I only think that because I think we had hyped it up. You had never seen one of his films, and we had been like, "This is crazy. This is so hard to watch." And then you were like, "Okay, this is hard to watch." And then your body was like reacting to it. Way weird imagery in holy mountain el topo like i looked up the genre for it and it said it was an acid western so and right that's how he he sold it so well, uh, is i just oh, knew actually, what i was getting actually, in go actually, ahead i have to interject the phrase acid western did not come to be until jim jarmusch's uh dead man it's a retro 
label put onto El Topo. No doubt. Mm. I Googled it. I mean, no doubt that they relabeled it. I don't think Joe Dorowski put that label so on your, it. So your, your uncomfortability with Holy Mountain was weirdness, not content. Like, and I weird get, that's a weird content. way to say it, but like weirdness, <laughs> not like thematics. Like it wasn't the, it wasn't the like. I mean, oh my God, another story of someone trying to find Nirvana. I mean, it's ages old. I mean, because that's all it's about. It's, it's a, it's a Jesus guy that's trying to become more Jesus-y. And no, he's a thief. He's a thief looking for, uh, I think that I think that there is a pretty clear plot. I I, I just well, disagree with you there. That it's clearly I I think it's clear that it's a it's about enlightenment and about a journey to enlightenment and yeah. going through all. And it's also about false gods and personified gods. Yeah. Like at the end, the end of it is you're you're kind of on your own there is no holy mountain and you have to make the most of of your life and i think that he he builds that i mean the journey is intense because any spiritual exploration like that's going to be intense i just yeah. do. i really love the stuff with the <laughs> i really love the stuff with the uh finding of the actual uh crew right to go along with him it's like a half hour uh section of this film where uh he's just like creating his lord of the rings fellowship right and they're just going into these people's lives and you're seeing them for a second and you're and you kind of don't know when it's switching to a new store i mean it does the thing where it shows their wax statue or whatever mm -hmm. um that stuff is really interesting to me i think that's super fun i would argue this has more of a plot than el topo only because el topo's oh. plot is a uh, uh, town is massacred and he goes and revenges it. That's the plot. The the plot for that to to me for this and though it is it is uh less uh simple, I think it actually is the plot like, like Scott was saying is very much this this hero's journey kind of subverted and with very little dialogue and and that kind of thing, but you know, plot-wise I think this is it's chock full of of moments that I can remember whereas El Topo I feel like is just one sentence told over two hours this has like a lot of little segments and a lot oh. of uh, kind of scene lits that then add up to something by the end which I think is super interesting one uh, one thing that I think we should say we discovered while we were watching this and it was also another way that I dealt with getting through this film was the fact that this came out the same year as Jesus Christ Superstar yeah and looks better in my um, opinion. I, I mean, but it's like, man, what a year for Jesus. And um, like <laughs> to help make myself feel more comfortable is like when he clearly met the Mary Magdalene character, we started singing Mary Magdalene songs. And when we were clearly dispersing the disciples, we sang the Last Supper song. And that really helped me get through it too. Yeah, uh, that was fun. Computer there vagina with a yeast infection was fun. <laughs> that was fun. I really love the, uh, I mean, there is, you know, it's kind of the first thing that happens in the movie is he gets found after being beaten. He gets found by nuns and the nuns who are kind of absurd and weird uh, versions of nuns take him in and make a cast of his body that looks like Jesus because they think he looks like Jesus and start selling it. 
And right away, you're like, oh, I know exactly what Jodorowsky's feelings on the church are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, right away, I'm with him. I'm like, got it. Okay, cool. So you're on that journey right away. You know what he's trying to say. And there is definitely a shit ton of Jesus imagery in this. But I do agree with Scott that I think he is a subversion of Jesus. It's almost like Life of Brian on crack. Or on acid. I don't know how to say that better. <laughs> well, I guess when I, mean, I looked, go ahead, Siege. Well, when I it's short. When I looked up plot shit on this, they called this guy a Christ figure the whole time, and well, yeah, Jodorowsky was that. the master the whole time, showing him the way. Yeah, it's a subversion of the Christ stories. Uh, agree. No one's no one's arguing with you. I'm just oh, saying. Okay. I think oh, that's okay. Totally yeah. Cool. No, it's. I didn't it's think the... they were literally telling the story of Jesus. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think he's, I, I think that he's using the, that imagery because it is the biggest imagery that most people are going to get so that he can quickly subvert it um, and go, no, you're, you're, you're not, there is, there is something in the philosophy of, you know, the kingdom of God is within you kind of thing that he's exploiting as well. But I think that um, uh, there's something else that he he does and, and i think one of the reasons that i've come back to him and rewatched his stuff is that and to give him credit there's years and years of sort of exploration of of these ideas of these symbols of these religions of these philosophies that he's imparting on this that that you can't get like in a thing and this is probably only my I don't know, fifth or sixth time ever seeing it. And it's years gaps in between, but, um, the, the, but it, it always hits me. There's always something new. There's always something to make you go, what? Um, as a matter of fact, there's a great quote. Um, if I could read real quick from Richard Stanley, who directed Jodorowsky's Dune and made the documentary, uh, talking about, um, Holy Mountain specifically, it feels like a work of art that comes from a parallel world, from a totally different version of the film industry where there are no limits. And I thought that that was an interesting take on that and, and, and on the, the film itself. Did, did you ultimately, I said earlier that I felt ultimately that there was sort of positive energy and mojo in this did did you guys feel that or did you you have a totally different experience definitely with holy mountain i i feel a lot of a lot of that there um you know i mean even just him the climb up to the alchemist's tower and going into the rainbow room and all that energy has a positive sort of energy to me i think i i don't know if i mentioned this earlier but i saw this really young i was like 13 yeah um my or maybe even a little younger and my brother put it on he was going to american film institute and we were watching just the weirdest movies and he put this on and i don't know that i should have seen it that young it was a lot uh but i never had things stuck with me but i never had like negative feelings about this movie i had negative feelings about the movie solo I had negative feelings about, you know, a lot of Pasolini and, like, kind of older, messed up stuff. But I didn't about this. Brunel and all that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. This didn't do that. This one didn't scar me like mm-hmm. those did. Um, I think if I had seen El Topo that young, maybe it would have. But this one, not so much. Um so I don't know. It depends. And Santa Sangre, actually, I feel like there's some positivity there, even though it's it is what it is. But right. um, yeah, I, I think so. I think I think I can get behind that. 
I mean, I think ultimately, uh, and I think I, uh, CJ kind of kind of said it, and maybe in a different way, it's it's a relatively simple story uh, yeah. that's told in a very complicated way, and it, that's sort of one of those inversions that Jodorowsky keeps doing to make you off balance, to make you think, to make you ponder and not leave it because like I'm engaged in his shit like I'm not thinking about other things it's like I said you can't it's not background stuff you know it's like I had Marvel movies on while cleaning today but like you can't do you can't do that with Joe you don't just throw on El Topo in the background when you're making dinner no I do not no I need to I need to kind of clear my head and be ready for it although (laughs) Uh, when I did watch it, uh, oh, I watched it last night. I thought I did two nights ago, but it was last night. But it was the first time I had ever watched it alone. Mm. And I realized mm. that. So I'm like, I'm a little high and I'm a little like, ooh, like this is this is getting to me. And I, I, d- I did take an intermission and kind of went and splashed some water on my face. Is there anything else we want to talk about, about Jode? Jody? I, uh, again, uh, th- thank you both for in- indulging and 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 watching these, <laughs> watching Holy Mountain with me. That was an experience. That was fun. Um, yeah, I, li- like I said, he's not everybody's cup of tea, and I'm not going to try and and sell him to anybody. Um, but I do think that there, uh, again, there's method in the madness, and there's beauty in the method, and um, and there's a huge brain that's working like this dude's clearly no dummy and he's trying to attack life with uh with with vigor and with his balls as you said uh bailey that um yeah. that'll keep me coming back to him and and so well, and the yeah. the theater movement work is is phenomenal we were commenting on it For the sure. whole time we were watching holy mountain and also the viewpointsness of it all i think mm, cj was yeah, the one who said yeah. he probably did a million viewpoints classes or rehearsals or whatever it was <laughs> it, it does feel that way it feels like he was like doing viewpoints with a group of people on acid and then went okay cool uh this is it did we was was it holy mountain where everyone had to what am I thinking of where everyone had to trip shrooms to be in the movie together? Well, they had oh, that was it. that was when you were talking about Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> no, for this oh. they 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 did shrooms. He oh. created he created a commune yes, of the one. people that were in Sorry. the movie and they had done shrooms uh in in preparation as a um Right. You can feel that in together. Holy Mountain. You can feel it. You can feel their closeness. You can feel that they trust him. You can feel that they have given themselves over to him and his weirdness. Um on our next end stuff we're gonna be talking about another director who asks that of his actors a lot to give themselves over completely to what he's trying to do and then they get blamed for it a lot of the time. Yeah. So we're gonna get to talk about that a little bit. May I say one last little thing about Holy Mountain? Yeah. I want to know how fucking hard it was to go and stand on top of Chichen Itza butt-ass naked in film in 1970. Sure. Like, that was the shot that I will always remember from right. this. It was yeah. like a bunch of naked people standing on top of Chichen Itza. And like, it's an extraordinary it been- shot. Like, it's a gorgeous shot, too. Right. It is. Right. Yeah. And it's either that they did it without anyone knowing and it was illegal or they or he got a huge favor somehow. 
now. Right. Well, yeah. and from the little bit that I know about how that area is owned is until just now it's kind of like state slash country owned, like all of those historical monuments. But it for a long time, places like that, like rich basically like almost crime families owned own stuff like that yeah. so maybe, i mean he may have he it's may 1973 have... so i mean you know people didn't feel the same way about historical sites as they do now so yeah. maybe he knew a guy that knew a guy and they could go fill because yeah i mean i think that was probably exactly like it during the during the nighttime or something yeah yeah that's all that's the shot well that will stay with me from holy mountain yeah, get yourself high and fucking go watch some Joe Dorowski. Think about some things. Do some reading. Learn about stuff. Like, um, yeah. I don't like extreme violence or or trying to guess how many animals were killed for the film. I personally feel like there is a way to do... And again, I know these films are like 50 fucking years old now. But there's a way to do absurdism that's like deep and thought-provoking that includes everybody and doesn't involve people getting hurt. I guess Pe beings getting hurt yeah. like on purpose. Yeah. Right. I could do without when I'm talking about Jodorowsky in general, I could do without the dead animals and I could do without the naked children. Yes. Um, that is a 100% for me. Uh, besides that, Hey, good times. I like, I don't regret that. I watched these. I'm glad I watched them. I'm not going to sit down and watch them. I will sit down and watch them again. If someone's like, Hey, let's do this. <laughs> maybe <laughs> on some drugs <laughs> um but yeah i do i have a i think i have some love for holy mountain i think it's got a place in my heart a little bit i think i uh will probably never watch el topo again and um <laughs> jodorowsky's dune is is a very interesting doc i, I normally we would do uh bailey loves ranking shit <laughs> Bailey loves ranking shit. Which I do. I love ranking shit. But can we rank these? Because one of them isn't even his. Yeah. N no. But we can rank those two. I don't Let's think rank those do... two. Okay. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Siege. You um, know mine. I like Holy Mountain better than El Topo. But I like Dune the best because I'm stoked on Dune. But I know that yeah. wasn't, didn't count. Even though it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. um, Scott. Uh, yes, uh, I I definitely preferred Holy Mountain to El Topo, but I love them both. Love, I do too. And love I, is a I strong word. <laughs> you appreciate them appreciate. both for what they are. Yeah. Appreciate. I think I think Holy Mountain. Um, he has grown a lot by the time he's making Holy Mountain, both cinematically, uh, uh metaphorically, um, maturity. Um, I think he's just um, he's an interesting figure. I'm glad he exists. I think he. it's interesting that he comes up in conversations with uh, people like Magritte and Dali and stuff like that. I think it's great. So, it's no wonder to yeah. me. Yeah, I, I think he's he's an interesting. I'm, I'm glad that people like him exist. I don't know if I, well, maybe I'd want to hang out with him. I'd hang out with Joe Dorowski. Sure. I don't know if I'd want to hang out for a long time with Joe Smoke Dorowski. one joint and leave. That's yeah, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any final words on Jode, my friends? No. Uh, again, thanks a lot for for indulging and uh, for doing this uh, this in stuff. Thanks for putting up with my mania while watching Holy Mountain. <laughs> and thank you, listeners, for joining us for Theater, Theater, and Stuff, Scott's Pick. Join us again next week as we begin our mini-series on Henrik Ibsen. Mm. Ooh. 
a pod's house or pot a gabbler which one's better a pod's house or pot a gabbler i kind of like pot a gabbler but i kind of do right? too a pod's house is is the easiest most obvious one but yeah. pot, a gabbler, pot a gabbler is pretty hot That's we're gonna do high. pot a gabbler i'm, I, I'm sold pot a gabbler get out of the we'll be covering his evolution through three of his works had a gabbler Pierre Ghent and a doll's house, right? That's what we decided. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Um, and uh, yeah. So read those if you have time. And then our next n stuff is a uh, CJ pick, which is what Siege? Showgirls. Showgirls. <laughs> the movie Showgirls. The Paul Verhoeven, Elizabeth Berkley, Kyle MacLachlan starring. Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon. <laughs> um, I can't wait to talk about it. We're actually going to record it tonight, so we're going to be in the same energy. I can't wait for it. Um, but we uh, we love you guys so much. Uh, the next uh, uh, stuff is Showgirls. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, do y'all have questions or comments? What do you think about Jodorowsky? Please tell us. Send us your questions, comments, compliments, uh, regards. You can email us. Reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Scott? Thank you, CJ. Much love and gratitude to the fabulous Pamela Quinn for writing the InStuff theme song. She contributes to every episode that we do, and we love her. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our main theme song, which you're about to hear, as well of all as well as all of our stingers. Our theme song is better than your theme song. That's true. true. That's right. Uh, also, finally, a big shout out to um, uh, what's her name? What's her name? Annie Baker. Manny Baker. Yeah, she writes Annie. every single one of our, our episodes. She doesn't know it, but she does. And we love her. And one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. That's correct. Please follow us on all the things. We love you so much. Um, the sun will come out tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> it's only a day away. Bet tomorrow. your bottom dollar. Bet your bottom that dollar. Tomorrow. Uh, we love you deeply. Mouths and butts are the same thing. Bye. Yes. Later, everybody. Tomorrow. It's time for a bonus. A bonus <laughs> episode. I love episodes of theater, theater, Pam, you theater, do better. theater. We're going off the beaten path of... The theater, the theater. Sing it out, Louise! Theater, theater. To be or not to be. Theater, theater. Hey!